The best way to describe being a trauma nurse is that I do not want you to get hurt. I just want to be there if you do. So it's not ever that I'm like excited or, you know, that somebody got hurt, but I want to be the one that's there when, that, when somebody rolls in. Hi, I'm Catherine. I love hearing people's stories. I always have. In 2021, an idea came to me to talk to 10 people I didn't know about a meaningful day in their life. I posted the idea to my neighborhood's Facebook page and connected with 11 people who were willing to share. We met in one of our homes, and these are those conversations. For me, when I hear someone's personal experience, I understand them better. I feel connected to them through common ground or a common feeling, and I always and inevitably learn something from them that helps me in my own life. I don't know what you'll find in these conversations, but I hope it's something good. I'm so grateful all around to everyone who participated, and now to you for listening. I truly hope you enjoy. Let's jump right in. Today's conversation is with Brooke. Okay, so let's get into it. Can you tell me what you'd like to talk about today? We can talk about a day in the life of an ER nurse. Awesome. Great. Okay, you are an ER nurse. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want to just tell me how you ended up working in that field? Yeah. Nursing is a second career for me. I originally started out as an early childhood education or preschool teacher and decided to make a career change mid, early to mid-20s and went back to school. And I think I've always been drawn to the adrenaline and the excitement of it all. And I think when you first start to get into it, you think it's going to be like TV shows or I don't know, just you think it's going to be this highly dramatic thing. And it is to a degree, but I got interested in it, volunteered in an ER for my last semester of nursing school. And I think that's initially how I got the job. Sometimes it can be very difficult to get hired into specialty departments. They almost always want you to start in what we call med surge, which is what you would think basic hospital nursing. But I guess I had shown up so many weeks in a row to work for free, they decided they had to start paying me (laughs) once I graduated. So I went to work in the ER the day I graduated, nursing school. Wow. Did you go to a graduation? Um, Yes, I went to a graduation. Well, so the next day, I guess. The first day I was a graduate, I hadn't passed my boards or anything like that. I was hired on as a graduate nurse to start orientation, and I started in a, what we would call an outlier community hospital that I didn't know at the time, but was a bit rough and tumble. It's the one right up here in Antioch. And it very much, the ER is a sink or swim, trial by fire, but you learn very quickly that the drama isn't necessarily from all of the scenarios it's that everything changes constantly you never know what's going to walk in you never know who you're going to be dealing with and you always deal with everybody and their families on their absolute worst day like my day-to-day my tuesday i have to consistently now remind the nurses that work for me that while this is what we are used to and we know how this works, somebody is having the worst day of their life. And they're going to treat you probably pretty badly. 
and they're going to be mean and they're not going to be themselves or they're going to be hurting or, you know, something awful is happening to them. And not only do you have to do your job, you have to do it while understanding that, which I think is where a lot of the drama or whatnot comes from, is managing the people and the humanity alongside with the medicine, if that makes sense. It definitely does. I want to back up a second. Yep. So you said you were a primary school teacher. Mm -hmm. So when you were little, did you have a dream of what you wanted to do? How did you, and maybe from that, how did you end up in teaching? When I was little, I always said I wanted to be a doctor, which is a little strange. Why? But uh, I, don't, I don't know how that I ended up actually in medicine and that I would never be a doctor now, just because of all of the things. But growing up, I am the second oldest and the only girl on both sides of my family. So it was always like me and anywhere between 10 and 16 boys running around and I was typically trying to watch them. It's like cousins oh, and yeah. extended family. Yes. So I was always kind of like a built-in babysitter and I realized that I really liked kids, especially younger, early childhood. Probably pre-elementary school age, I was always very drawn to. When it was time to go to college and go to school, I went into education. And there are a couple different ways you can do it, but I focused on early childhood, which is preschool age. And I guess at the end of the day to go into nursing, for me, it always seemed kind of like teaching or nursing were the two. And when I realized that I would always have to have two jobs as a teacher, I decided, okay, well, maybe we try nursing and went back to school and realized that there's actually a very similar component to both. A lot of nursing is education and a lot of managing patients and not in not a derogatory way, but you have to be able to explain things simply. You have to get through a lot of heightened emotion and you have to get through a lot of unregulated responses, which is very similar to dealing with really small children on an escalated level for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I, it was, and I needed more of a challenge, which medicine certainly is. What was the first day of nursing school like? Ooh, I had to finish some prerequisites in the summer before I got in. And I remember that for some reason, I didn't have the sense to know that you shouldn't do um, anatomy and physiology in accelerated summer courses. So I distinctly remember I had one week to memorize the bones of the body, which is a little overwhelming. But nursing school itself is hands down the hardest thing I've ever done. I have three degrees. I just finished my third, my um, bachelor's in nursing but my degree to become a nurse was the hardest thing I ever did. Everything about it is terrifying. So how did that work? So you had your degree in education mm -hmm. and then you wanted to go into nursing. I know they have different like tracks and different mm -hmm. programs, but what, like, what did you actually study? Uh, what degree did you get? How long did it take? When I went, nursing school was done almost backwards from a traditional degree where your first two years are practical how to do the job. Mm -hmm. like 
physically and skill-wise how to be a nurse and take care of a patient. And that is the associate degree, they call it an ASN. Now, nursing school the first two years is insanity. It is life-consuming. It is all day, every day, just because of the amount and the scope of the material. Like, one of my classes was pharmacology. So I had a semester to get a working knowledge of every drug ever. How was that? Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Every semester in nursing school, for the majority of it, is you pass or you're out. There, there isn't repeating. You don't get, there's no do-overs. If you don't make it through, you're out of the program. So everything was very, very high stakes. So you spent a lot of your week in classes. You spent a number of days in clinicals in like training in all of the different nursing settings, long-term care, nursing homes, hospitals, different units and hospitals, and then the rest of your time studying. Yeah, nursing school itself, like it's hard to explain to people, but it's a beast. That's honestly the hardest thing I've ever done. Would you do it again? Yes. It, getting the letters RN behind my name was the best thing I ever did because now I can do anything I want. It, there, whatever you want to do within nursing, there's something. If I wanted to work from home, if I wanted to work in a doctor's office, in a hospital, if I wanted to be a school nurse, as long as you have the credentialing and that license, you have absolute and total freedom to do whatever you want to do. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you, you were in nursing school and you tried different departments, or like you had to mm -hmm. work in different departments, uh, what was your experience like with that? Like, what did you really like? Obviously, the ER, and what mm -hmm. didn't you like? I didn't like, I, from a nursing perspective, as like a human, I would probably like it. But from a nursing perspective, I didn't like like what people would think of as nursing homes. We call them skilled nursing facilities or like long-term care. Because part, part of being a nurse is that there's never as many people as you think there should be around to do the job that you're asked to do. And so I didn't like that because you would have, as an RN, you typically are given like a floor. So you have the entire floor of people that you're over their medical care. And that seemed too much. I'm trying to think. Labor and delivery scared the bejeebies out of me. You should never, ever have to be at that end before you've done it yourself. And it might be why I don't have kids. <laughs> I'm also a living black cloud in the two deliveries that I was in the room for ended well, but went horribly wrong in the meantime. And one of them, which is called shoulder dystocia, the baby got stuck. Mm. And right after the OB had waved me in to be like right there with him to be like, here, look, see all of this. And then all of a sudden I just heard him yell the word shoulder and got flocked in by a bunch of people and was like stuck. And I like wasn't even wearing gloves. And everybody's like freaking out. And I literally, I remember being in nursing school, you have to wear all white so you stand out so they know don't trust you. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So, totally so fair. they know like, okay, this person isn't legit yet. Don't ask him anything serious. 
But I remember thinking, like, I wonder if I could drop down to the floor and somehow army crawl backwards out of here because I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> L&D scared me because when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's really bad. And pediatrics was too much for me. NICU was a little too much because they're so tiny. Like the neonatal ICU, the ones that are born in like 23 weeks, like you can like see through them and it, that was, and they don't let you hold them. I was like, well, if you could like sit there and like hold and rock the babies, that seems legit, but that's not real. They stay in the little incubators. And I just wanted fast paced and I always, if I am not mildly, mildly freaking out at like a, at least a four or five out of 10, for some reason I'm not happy and I'm bored. And so it, I just needed something that was consistently challenging. And while all the kinds of, all the different types of nursing have their own, are a challenge in their own way, I was drawn to the challenge of very critical patients or figuring out what was actually wrong. Like when it comes to being like on a floor in a hospital, you have six or these days ratios are all messed up, but on a regular pre-COVID, you would have six patients, but they're all in varying stages of illness. Most of them are okay. They're getting up, they're walking around. They're, this is gonna sound sassy. They're hitting their call light and they want another Sprite or they're cold and they want a blanket and that's fine. And there are people who are very good at that kind of thing. I was not good. I didn't want to feel like it made me feel like a flight attendant that was handing out pills. And so I wanted to be in those life or death high stakes moments. So that was more of what I was drawn to. ICU was also very interesting. And I actually did spend a year in the ICU and I realized that I was too bored. It, wow. Yeah. It wasn't enough. So it seems like you're very well suited <laughs> for what you do. Yes. Is, was there a moment in nursing school where you were like, oh, yes, this is. I'm oh, yeah. For this. Was it early on or was it? It was when you do and we call them clinicals, but you rotate through all the different the majority of all the different possible options. And when we did our rotation through the ER, I was like a kid in the candy store. I was just smiling from ear to ear, eyes wide open. I just wanted to see everything. And to see everything, I wanted to do everything. And in the ER, like, as a nurse, in the ER, you are very much autonomous. Of course, you have a physician there and their orders and they're all of the things, but you're more of a team and you know what you need to get done and you have quite a bit more leeway to somebody walks in or is rolled in or whatever, you get a patient in your room. If you know like generally what they're there for, you know what, and part of your job is to anticipate that and start it. Most physicians would be mildly irritated if they walked in and you hadn't done anything and were just waiting for them to tell you what to do. So I liked that part of it that you have to know and you have to anticipate. I know like if I get a female that comes in with belly pain, I'm gonna get an IV, I'm gonna draw blood, I'm gonna get these things started, all of this, and I know what orders are coming. So yeah, from the day I was in the ER and I saw those nurses kind of operating like that, I was like, oh no, I'm here, this is it. 
So when you started working in the ER, mm -hmm. you know, you've graduated, you have your degree, and then I think you said you had to take your test a little while mm -hmm. later. But then once you're there, what was that first year like? Terrifying. It took at least six months before I could go an entire shift without wanting to throw up. Because it's a lot. Especially when you go into a special a specialty department like ER, ICU, or I know like oncology. So if you have a specialty area, the expectations are so high and the nurse is so autonomous that when you're brand spanking new, you just consistently want to raise your hand and be like, I have no idea what's happening. But you also, you which is true and you've absolute nursing school does not prepare you to be a nurse it prepares you to learn how to be a nurse when you get out of school it gives you the basics that you then build on but at the same time if you have a patient that's looking at you and you're you to them are their saving grace you are the barrier between them and something horrible you also can't be like it's my fourth day i'm not really sure what i'm supposed to do here so it's a lot of fake it till you make it, feel, figuring out how to deal with failure and rejection and screwing up and how to handle those things and how to prevent it from ever happening again and how to, I don't practice in a way that even if you do screw up, it never hits the patient. And I think especially in the ER because it's not like you're not on a floor that just does GI, like belly pain or surgery. Everything that walks in is completely different than anything else you've ever seen. And it is under the good nurses in the ER are the first ones to admit when they're wrong and they don't know. The scariest nurses I've ever worked with know everything. Because if you don't recognize that there's more to learn or there's things that you could miss or ask other people questions or get other eyes on it, you'll miss something. And something I tell my staff all the time, like, we're not making donuts. If this goes bad, you don't get to start again. You have to focus. This is somebody's life in your hands. So it's all very high stakes and that so coming in new and not having an operational knowledge of it or really understanding what you're supposed to be doing, or even some of the skills. You just walk in, feel like you're gonna throw up, try not to, go for 12 or 13 hours, go home, get some sleep and do it again. Wow. Yeah. What were some of the mistakes that you were making your first year? And what were some of the things that you were doing really well off the bat? I think one thing that I have been able to do well and was able to do well early was communicating with patients and educating. And that comes from my prior career and my background, but I think one thing that nurses need to be able to do well and something that's often overlooked is to educate and explain and talk to the patients. Things that are, you know, 101 to me are only 101 to me. 
the person who comes in and I give them a med and I tell them what it's for is not going to A, remember anything that I said. They're going to have to look at the paper later. But B, if I don't tell them why they're taking it, what's going to happen, what to look for, if I don't educate that, or somebody with diabetes. Okay, well, did you know that carbs are actually sugar? So please stop eating a full loaf of bread with every meal. That's why your sugar's out of control. That education and connection part to try to help them have ownership and prevent them from having to come to the hospital. Mistakes, every single one of them you could have made. It's fast in the ER. It's everything has to be done five minutes ago. Everything has to be done at the exact same time. And you screw up. One, I made a med error when I was a new grad. And without getting too clinical, there are certain meds you have to give in certain ways. And I gave it the wrong way. It took me a minute or two to realize my mistake. And it, I mean, it could have been serious. It, not really, but for me, absolutely devastating. I went and, you know, I made sure the patient was safe. I escalated it and, you know, made sure they were on a monitor and all of this. And I went and turned my, you know, went and told my charge nurse, um, sat on the floor, started hysterically crying and said, just let me know when you need to fill out the report and I'll go clean out my locker. Whoa. And my charge nurse was like, hey, all right, slow your roll. <laughs> it's a mistake. Like, it, you did what you were supposed to do, you know, you escalated it. But, and I actually remember I was so upset about having made a mistake that reached the patient that the physician had to come calm me down after a while. And the medicine that I gave was epinephrine, it's epis, anaphylactics, and you're supposed to give it in a shot. And I gave it through the IV, which now is actually practice. But you're not, you weren't supposed to do it like that. And that made a mistake and did. And I remember the physician who was not warm and cuddly at all and was half robot came with like, you know that meme with the broom where somebody's like patting somebody from across the room when they're getting upset? He basically like came and like patted me and he was like, you know, she makes that right in her own brain. You just gave her extra. It's going to be okay. Um, so I was far more, far more upset. So there are med errors and... I think I've seen in a lot of nursing careers, there's a point at which you get a little bit comfortable. Like everything isn't God awful terrifying anymore. I don't want to say like you're comfortable, you know what you're doing. But as a new nurse, you're like, oh, I got this. When that terror starts to just blatant terror starts to wear off, you're like, oh, this is what it feels to know what you're doing. And that is exactly the point where you're going to get a little too cocky and you're gonna make a mistake. And I guess mine was a mistake. It was a mistake in assessment. But I remember ambulances calling on a radio and you answer the radio and you hear the report coming through and typically whoever's standing around there can hear it. They don't do anything patient specific, but there's a patient they're bringing in for chest pain. They're like 55 year old male coming in for chest pain and we could hear him yelling, like screaming in the background. And I remember on night shift, I rolled my eyes and I said, chest pains don't yell with my sassy little britches. And I thought, because you see a lot of drama, you see a lot of dramatics, in my head, I kind of wrote it off and I was absolutely wrong. And 
he didn't have technical chest pain like you would consider with like a heart attack. Typically those are very a quiet pain. I mean, you can see it, it's got awful pain, but they're very quiet. This guy's aorta was rupturing and it was very incredibly painful and he was yelling. And so to this day, anytime I hear somebody be a little sassy or feel like they're a little overconfident, I'm like, yeah, chest pains don't yell, but triple A's do. So it, you make your mistakes and you just try to, again, with that, that patient came in was my patient. I at least knew enough to bring somebody else in with me to be like, hey, what do you think? And they're like, oh, you know, you need to check this, look at this. And that's how we figured out, oh, it's the aorta. We need to do something about that. Yes, yes, we did. And I was like, stay still, stop moving. Don't, no. I know it hurts, stop yelling. Please don't move, please don't move. <laughs> we're gonna need a surgeon so fast. <laughs> were there things that you were like, and maybe you still are kind of, not like looking forward to coming in? You're like, oh, okay. Are those like things that you know that you can manage them well? Or are there other things that you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think, I want to say basic. Again, nothing in the ER is basic or the same or all of that, but also some things are. A, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. In ERs, we code everything by an ESI level, Emergency Severity Index. It's a triage level. There's a ton of different scales depending on how you use them. And a patient is assigned a level. Five, we're not sure why you're here. Five is like low, not high risk. You're not gonna have to do much. It's a relative, it's like a doctor's office visit. Just happens in the ER. Like a dental pain or something like that. Okay, we'll give you pain meds and some antibiotics and bye, see you in a minute. Four, broken bone, simple broken bone. Okay, you need an X-ray, you need a splint or a cast, great. ESI threes are the majority of what you see. Belly pains, basic headaches, all of, anything on a three, four, or five, I feel like I can handle. It could be something, it could not be anything. There's a general set of what we're gonna do to figure out which way it's gonna go. So that kind of stuff I feel pretty comfortable with. Twos are serious, meaning you probably have 15, 30 minutes before something bad happens. Like, and when I say really bad. One, you're dead and we're trying to fix it, or you're about to be. So I'd say anything two, but I've been doing this 10 years, like two, three, four, or five, I can probably handle strokes, heart attacks, all of that kind of stuff. The stuff that I find really interesting, which is kind of where my career has taken me, is trauma. The hospital I worked for for many years and then ended up managing the ER is a trauma hospital. And trauma is just a, it's like the ER on steroids. Because you get literally somebody from somewhere, God knows where. Something happens. You have whatever information they happen to have about it. There was a bad car accident, we pulled him out here. And then you're on. Okay, what's broken, what's bleeding, what's this? Look at all of the things. So not only do you have to know what you're talking about and be good at it, you have to be fast. Because if somebody has a traumatic injury, 
you really, like serious traumatic injuries, you really have minutes to figure out what exactly is happening and where you have to go to fix it. If you get like a level one trauma, a serious traumatic injury, they're typically in the ER for 10 to 15 minutes, max. And that is the time you have to get their care started and them stabilized to either get to the operating room or get to the ICU, the trauma ICU for some sort of bedside procedure. So that that's my new, not new, those are the ones I still find really interesting because again, just like the ER, nothing ever happens the same way. And it's you and your brain being pitted against God knows what with barely any information and it's your job to fix it. Wow. Yeah. Anybody in the ER who stays there for a long time, all of us, we call ourselves lifers, lifers, you're little nuts. Like, cause I don't know who else would want to do that. Who'd just be like, dude, like, and it, the best way to describe being a trauma nurse is that I do not want you to get hurt. I just want to be there if you do. So it's not ever that I'm like excited or, you know, that somebody got hurt, but I want to be the one that's there when that, when somebody rolls in. Wow. <laughs> yes. I never want anything bad to happen. I just want to help you if it does. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> okay. Let's just start here. Okay. So you were dealing, as you said, with people on their worst days of their lives, mm -hmm. going through significant trauma. Mm-hmm. What kind of impact does that have on you? I think it's, it's, a, it's difficult to explain, but I will say in the ER, you get very, very good at and probably overly good at compartmentalization. You have to learn very early on and very quickly how to detach because a real reality of our, and again, in the past year, I've gone onto the management side of it, but I still work on the floor. I still, I'm always a nurse first, but there's a very real possibility that you are in one room delivering the absolute worst news that anybody's going to hear. It's terminal illness. There's nothing we can do. Something you're giving horrible, horrible news the next room over is mad that you took so long and they're hurting and they haven't gotten their pain medicine in time. And they're obviously they're in an angry state. They're hurting. And so they're screaming at you and calling you every name in the book. The next room over, I don't know what's, I'm just trying to pull out tropes of patients. The next room over is somebody who has such a, horrible life scenario that the best place that they can think of to be that day is in the ER. They don't really need to be there medically, but they know the system, they know how to get in and they want a sandwich. And the fourth one is in a psychiatric breakdown and all of them need you at the exact same time for completely different reasons. To them, their need is the most 
and you have to be able to, for better or worse, you have to be able to wall it off and to operate under the most horrific circumstances ever and be able to walk to the next room, put on a smile and say, I'm sorry, I was late. If I got emotionally invested and I, I mean, you feel it, but not the way other people think. And it, that's why I say probably too much because in your daily life, like I do, I'm sure I do not emotionally react. And I have been told I do not emotionally react appropriately to things because I'm so used to being disconnected and compartmentalized. You could literally tell me anything and I will, I will have no visible reaction. I will have to step aside and process and I probably will later. But in real time, that poker face, for lack of a better word, that starts to follow you after a while. Mm. But I think it does, it, it, it changes the way you interact with life when you exist at an 11 all day, every day. And for me, I've been doing it for 10 years now and everything I deal with 80% of the stuff I deal with is life or death or the most important thing ever to somebody. So then good and bad, when you get out and people are like, oh, I didn't put tomatoes on my sandwich. You're like, I'll hit you in your face right now. Does not matter. Can't care. <laughs> like things that other people either get upset about, you like, I just do not bother me. But also it, you also don't necessarily like want to go interact with other people. My favorite my favorite hobby in the whole world and this is so sad is grocery shopping but only like middle of the day on Tuesday it's a great time to go it's like me and two blue hairs and I get to wander the aisles and I don't have to talk to anybody nobody needs anything from me nobody's yelling at me nobody's calling me names like it I'm like mm, do I want rainbow goldfish or regular that's my biggest decision and it brings me a lot of joy if I get stressed out, I go to Publix and I just wander the aisles and I check the app before I go to see how many people are there. Because <laughs> I don't want to talk to people. So you kind of find ways to ease off all of the, the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And then do you have, you know, things that bring you joy besides grocery shopping or, or the rest of your days off just kind of just chill? Um... I am, I've learned over the past couple of years that I am an absolute workaholic. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this because I don't ever want this to be offensive to anybody or to minimize anything else. I think it is very, it has to be very similar to, and just in an emotional sense, again, I am not a soldier nor have I ever been. It has to be very similar to when a veteran comes home from war. When everything I do all day, every day is so important and has to be perfect and so high stakes, it almost leaves you with a sense of boredom 
or inadequacy or not being fulfilled with anything less than that. Mm. So it becomes very, very easy to escape into and to fixate on the work and the trauma and all of it. Because it is, it's all encompassing. When you walk into the building, that's it. That is, it takes everything you are and ever will be. And then when you walk out, you're like, meh. I guess it doesn't really matter if I vacuum. I don't really care. So it's really challenging. It's challenging to explain, but I have been an absolute workaholic for a number, number of years. Probably average 50 to 70 hours a week, easy. And then sleep the rest or hang out with friends, whatever, but never made any time for real hobbies. My decompression, my little thing that I like, I play children's games on my iPad. Uh, Candy Crush, still an OG fan of that. Little mindless things. Just, I don't know, garden, I like to garden. I'm currently making lavender cuttings right now. I don't know, I watched a British guy on YouTube. I feel like it's gonna go well. <laughs> so, okay, you have, been a nurse and mm -hmm. you said recently you've gone into management mm -hmm. what made that change how's that been how's that been different about the end of 2019 no summer 2019 I started to think about okay I've been a nurse for a number of years what does my career look like what do I want to do and one thing I've always really liked is um growing other nurses, teaching, helping, coaching, leading. And so I kind of took like a baby step into leadership and it was a clinical coordinator position. It basically meant like I was there to work late and try to keep night shift in line, but also still be a nurse and still be on the floor or whatever, just kind of like be a clinical lead, a little bit above like a charge nurse. And then through a whole series of things, our director left, yada, yada. I somehow continued to fall upward and just be like, hey, guess what? You do this now. And cut to, what was it? What happened? I'm trying to think. 2020, beginning of 2020, I was interim manager of a level two trauma ER with 100 plus employees. Absolutely no idea. What was never anything I signed up for. No idea what I was supposed to be doing. Like, was working insane hours just to try to figure it out because it's a beast. Then there was a tornado. So that was a massive response and all kinds of destruction and all that. And then COVID hit. And trying to figure out how we all get through this and having absolutely no, like, leadership. I had a couple months under my belt. How do we get the department through this and... The guidance changed about every 15 minutes. We had probably three or four time a day huddles with the staff of, oh no, you have to wear this mask now and do this. And no, no, that's not how it's transmitted and you have to do this. And okay, we're gonna change this to keep that. Um, so that was horrible <laughs> and stressful. And um, yeah, and leadership to me for the ER is to be a breakwater for the crap. 
so it doesn't hit the bedside staff because bedside nurses do the absolute hardest work of anybody. No question. And they're just, there are things that are operational and business and all kinds of stuff, but they don't, they shouldn't have to care about that or how it gets done or all of the things. There needs to be a filter, so that's what I do. And the majority of the time, I actually, I really like it. I really enjoy it. I enjoy advocating for the staff. I enjoy the challenge of how do I get what I need for the department to make us function the best way possible within all of the restrictions and all of that and using that clinical of, okay, if you want us to do this better, this is what I need and this is what this looks like and to be the clinical resource in the room. And so now, recently gone down and am building a brand new trauma program from scratch that they're hopeful to have up and running by the summer. That's soon. Oh, isn't it? Isn't it? They've never done it before. And so, yeah, the state accreditation, the college surgeons, all that, but getting the staff what they need. And at the same time, you're still running a giant ER. I didn't know it at the time, but I now am on the leadership team of the fourth busiest ER in the state. Yeah, so, you know, frying pan fire, why not? And we're trying to build a trauma program and all of that. And again, you're not making donuts. Every decision that you make, somebody's life depends on it. And so you still get the thrill of it and I still get to help the nurses and be the resource that I always wanted to have. Uh, just COVID. What? <sighs> What's your take on that? What's it been like on the ground, so to speak? Oh God, that's a novel. COVID was and is awful. And I think more than, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. The one thing that I would point out to people who are not in healthcare is that for those of us who are in healthcare, we never got a break or got to step away. We've literally had no idea what we were dealing with. Just like everybody else, we had some more information. But we have been, I don't know, fighting blind or doing the best we can for over a year. We are just now starting to process. And so I think what we are inevitably going to see is the toll that it has taken on healthcare is just now going to start to show itself. A lot of people in healthcare, myself included, knew there would be something like this. Whether it be a superbug, whether it be something that was antibiotic resistant, we knew something was going to hit. We are incredibly lucky that this is what it was. Because while it was horrible, and while it has been, it could have been a lot worse. But what it did is it showed all of the cracks and put pressure on all of the fissures that were already in the healthcare system. And I think that's the hardest part to deal with it. The things that were already done incorrectly and I think healthcare staff 
fought a battle on two fronts in that working in a broken healthcare system that then got put under immense strain with a mystery illness nobody knew anything about and then fighting against the highly I don't want to say politics but a highly politicized response from the public where people consistently wanted to tell you what you were doing so it was almost like getting beaten up and being like all battered and bruised and then one person screaming at you that what you just did wasn't real and then somebody else clapping and having absolutely no idea. It, it's, it's a hugely complicated and massive response, but right now in the middle of healthcare, we are dealing with rampant, rampant provider, nurse, anybody who works in it, burnout, staffing, mental health issues. It, it's a rough time. Mm. I think now more than in the middle of it, because in the middle of it, that's what we do. Whatever craziness you're going to pop off with. I mean, I went through, and it wasn't to the same degree, but I was in the ER during all the Ebola stuff and sat in an isolation room on the phone with the CDC. And that's what we do. We run in. We're there when nobody else is. But dealing with the after effects, that's where we're going to struggle and are struggling now i think it'll be interesting to see where healthcare and all of the workers go for now because right now we were already we we're already facing a nursing shortage and now very few people who have been doing it want to do it anymore mm. what's your take on kind of just there are very strong opinions about the yes. vaccine yes as an er nurse what's your take on that get it i absolutely see and understand the trepidation and the concern and you know this is we're not sure we don't have long-term studies and I do I get all of that I think there is so much emotional and anecdotal information out there that it becomes difficult to see what's real the vaccine that we have now, the mRNA, like the science behind it is solid. I was tier 1A1 or whatever, the first one, and I got there the first day I could. The way out of this for real is herd immunity and vaccination. And I think what challenges me as a nurse, and I get everybody we live in a wonderful country where everybody can make their own decisions and all that. And I don't want people to think I'm not honoring their choices. I have friends that won't get vaccinated. It drives me bonkers, but I can't force them. But that that's how we get back to things. And what bothers me, I think, as a nurse is that I don't know that people actually understand that while the vaccination helps protect you, vaccinating isn't about you. I got vaccinated not necessarily because I was scared of getting COVID. I mean, I, I was so hyper exposed for so long. If I was going to get it, who knows? I may have had it. I would probably be okay, but people in my life wouldn't. 
older people, people that come into contact at the grocery store, immunocompromised, small, like the little kid, kids are a whole other thing because bless them, they're probably going to be fine, but they run around and they're just like little sprinklers with it. They're going to spread it to everybody they touch. My perspective on the vaccine is that it is something we do for each other to protect the people who can't get it and the people who won't be okay if they get sick. Yeah. <laughs> that's my take. <laughs> I think that's what vaccines are there for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why we don't have polio. Yes. Uh, one of my dad's friends had polio. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's spent his life having problems walking mm -hmm. because of it. And I yeah. mean, polio really isn't the thing at the moment. Right. Okay, switching gears for a second. Okay, so, you know, whenever I meet someone who's worked in the ER, mm -hmm. one thing I always want to ask, mm -hmm. besides just what is that like, what's some of the weird stuff that you've seen? <sighs> that it's such a challenging question for me because my line is so far away from everybody else's line. Um, that is, it's funny you ask that because that, that's what everybody wants to know. And... I am never really sure exactly what to say, but it is always interesting and somewhat unexpected to see where people will put things. Whether what the things are, where they end up. And what has always baffled me is how they tell you they got there. Like, I'm not new. <laughs> I know. We found a bottle of vitamins, Centrum Vitamins, up in a place. And the response was, I fell on them in the shower. No, sir, you did not. I don't, at this point, obviously none of us care. We all know exactly how the bottle of vitamins got where it is. And never one time has anybody stored their vitamins on the floor of the shower. That's not a thing. I don't understand your logic. I don't, I, and a lot of times like people, you, they come into the ER and they're on 9 million drugs and all of that and you ask them what they're doing and they're like, nothing. I will show them my badge and say, all this does is move the elevator. I don't care. But if you do not tell me, you will, because something's going to go weird. I need to know what I'm dealing with. I'm trying to think, one of them that was relatively impressive, I'm still impressed with this guy to this day. I won't give any identifying information. There's a gentleman who was going deep sea fishing, and he was carrying his tackle box down the stairs, and he tripped. Mm. And apparently they were going to fish for some sort of like large animals like sharks. And he ended up with a shark hook through his arm. Um, one of the three pronged things and one of the prongs was through his arm. And he, I guess, had been a paramedic and was not going to um, call the ambulance because he thought he would never live it down. So he drove himself to the ER. And when he checked in, I said, sir, what's wrong? And he lifted up his arm. And that's one of the only times in my entire career I was like, oh, 
like if you actually like audibly like I at this point I don't react to anything because you never want to be like oh like you don't <laughs> no, you never want an ER nurse like you never want to walk in and be like oh my god this is really bad like you don't you just don't <laughs> but I was a new nurse I was like oh and he apparently like got himself to the hospital and came in and we had to figure out how to get a shark hook out of his arm and I'll just never forget him lifting up his arm to show me I was like oh okay you you sir do need to be here right now that's real good call <laughs> what are the busy days or busy times in the year Monday really Monday is the busiest day of the year hands down typically Sunday Monday Tuesday Mondays are always awful. Hmm. I have no rhyme or reason or logic, and I've never been able to explain it. Sundays, you get a rush after church slash the game. So Sunday afternoons are usually rough. And nobody's, like, leaving from the inside of the hospital. Like, so nobody's getting discharged, so there's nowhere to put the people that get admitted if you don't already have open rooms, so everything stacks in the ER. Mondays always have the highest volume. Hmm. Tuesdays, statistically... You have the highest number of pedestrians hit by vehicles. I have no, no analysis on that whatsoever. Careful I just on those Tuesdays. Yeah, I guess. But just looking at years worth of trauma data, Tuesdays, you're more likely to see pedestrians hit by vehicles. We call them trauma Tuesdays. I see a lot of trauma on Tuesdays. I don't. I don't know. Fourth of July. Fourth of July is always really bad. People drink and light things on fire. And it ends badly every time. Every time. What about Halloween or Christmas, Thanksgiving? Tip, no, the Monday after a holiday is far worse than the holiday. Interesting. Because nobody wants to spend Christmas or Thanksgiving in the ER. Well, right, but, but I mean. Yeah, I know. But, the, like, but you will probably push through something that would have brought you to the ER on another day because oh. it's Christmas. This may or may not be something that's happened, but have you seen people who have come into the ER on a wedding day? Wedding day? No, bachelorette parties, though. Those are always fun. And there's always so much glitter. You can't clean it off, because when you clean glitter, you just move it. There's so much glitter, and there's so much crying, and so much mascara, and they always have to go everywhere in packs of nine. You're like, no, they can still only have one visitor. But it's my best friend, Becky. She's my man of honor. Shh. Nope, pick one. So, no, I haven't seen a wedding day. A lot of pre-wedding parties, though, that go weird. The scooters downtown were a solid source of business for us. Drunk on a scooter ends badly. Especially if you hit a cop car. <laughs> mm -hmm. For real. <laughs> the cops don't like it. <laughs> They're not big fans. <laughs> okay, if you could tell something to people who don't really know ER nurses about ER nurses, what would you tell them? Be kind. About ER nurses in general, you're not going to offend or gross us out. Ever. We win that every time. You can either have one nurse at dinner or all nurses at dinner. There is no two nurses at dinner. Everybody at dinner ends up upset because our line is different. If you ever have to go to the ER, be kind. Guarantee none of us want you there any more than you want to be there. 
we know, you know, advocate for your family, do what you have to do, but be kind. That's really fair. A lot of people, when you end up at the ER, you know, there's this, this sense that it's going to take forever to get mm -hmm. seen. What's your perspective on that? A, if you are not being rushed back 90% of the time, be very grateful. Because whoever is getting rushed back is in a lot more shape. Um, and in the ER, it is a matter of prioritizing, and I know people know this, but it's a matter of prioritizing what is the most dangerous or who is going to die first. And that is how you prioritize your care. The other side of that is that I know people hate being in the ER for a long period of time. I do too. And I, I, there are a lot of things that should go a lot quicker. And if I could control them, they would. It's one of the reasons I got into management because I'm sick of some of this stuff and I need people to listen to me. <laughs> And I want to be at the meeting. Here's how I explain it to patients. The average ER visit is mm, three and a half to four and a half hours long. We can do in that time what it would take your doctor three weeks. When you are laying in a bed looking at a ceiling and you don't know what's going on, it seems like a very long time. But getting results on blood work back in 60 to 90 minutes is a lot faster than you would anywhere else. We're going to be able to get a lot more testing done a lot more quickly. And again, it would take weeks to get it done in any other setting. Also, I don't think that as nurses in the ER, I was trained to do it this way, but I don't think we do a good job of explaining what we're doing to the people that are there, or we assume people know what is going on and they don't. A lot of the times when you're waiting, we're already working on you. If you you've probably seen a provider and you don't know it. You've probably seen an NP or a PA who has started a workup and started ordering things. We are very, very good at sick, not sick. Sure, we're human and we can miss things, but if you're not being rushed back, that is a good thing. We're probably doing more than you think we are behind the scenes. And we also want to get you through as quickly as possible. And the other thing is, is one thing I don't think a lot of people know, 75, 80% of the time. We don't want to admit you to the hospital either. We want you to be able to go home. And not because like there's anything wrong with that, but like we don't want, we don't want people in the hospital that don't have to be in the hospital. We have enough people that need to be in the hospital. We're good. We're not, we're not trying to stack it, I promise. <laughs> so if your doctor wants you to stay in the hospital, there's a reason. But we will make sure that you are safe and you're getting to the place that you need to be and we'll be able to get you all that information a lot faster than anybody else would. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. a few more. You said you'd never wanna be a doctor, why is that? One of the nurses that trained me in the ICU made a statement, it's not completely correct, but a lot of times it is. Doctors spend 11 minutes with a patient and a nurse spends 11 hours. Also, it costs a lot of money to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think doctors are incredibly wealthy and all that. And I'm sure there's some that are. The majority of the physicians that I know have an insane amount of debt, are working themselves like crazy to try to pay it off. And they don't get to practice medicine the way they want to because of you know law and defensive and it's defensive medicine and 
they're pushing all of us to be more and more reliant on the computer so the physician doesn't get to spend nearly the time with the patient that they want to. And with the way healthcare is, they don't get to do things the way they want to. I have a lot more freedom as a nurse and I get to spend a lot more time with the actual patients. And, sounds horrible, I'm not gonna be the first one named in a liability suit. It's <laughs> fair. And the physician is for sure. Do you see yourself staying in nursing? In one way or another, yeah. I have, at this point, I have no idea what else I would do. I mean, I'm sure it will evolve over time, but I, I'm not a person with a five-year plan. I hate when they ask me that in interviews. They're like, what's your five-year plan? I'm like, hmm, employment. <laughs> For sure, employment. <laughs> or independent wealthiness. One of the two. Yeah, in one way or another. I think in my head, my long-term plan, I, was a I would love to be a nursing educator. That's a whole other degree, too. So <laughs> that would be my fourth. <laughs> Keep on going. Yeah. What does your family think of you being a nurse? For the most part, they're, they are proud. They are very happy to have free medical advice on demand. My father hates the fact that I'm an ER nurse. Not the realities of ER nursing. The amount of time that I spend physically fighting people much larger than I am or being attacked by them is not okay in any way, and it bothers him. It bothers me too, but I'm sure it has to be worse for dad. ER nurses are the number one most likely profession to be attacked at work or to be injured. So I think that bothers him, but I think for the most part, no one outside of it really gets it, but they appreciate it. Oh, for sure. Like, and they're like, well, okay, we, we get that we don't get what you do or why you think that's funny, but I also do get a lot of either pictures on my phone, text messages or calls of the, do I have to go to the ER for this? And I'm happy to do it. Like. It's, that's the perk. <laughs> yep. Just don't think I can fix it at my house. That's all I ask. I don't have all the equipment. Okay, last question. Kay. What is one thing you really love about yourself? Just like in general? Or specifically? Oh, I, anything. I I I love that I will almost always put other people first and try to help. That is something I am proud of and I will always try to do the right thing and help someone else. think of that's a beautiful thing i think it's really true <laughs> i think it's so true thank you so yeah. much for oh for sure time and for talking with me absolutely great thanks sorry for the background noise of sunshine over here thanks for listening feel free to leave a comment about this conversation maybe what you're taking with you from it make sure to check out the other conversations if you haven't already too you can also send me a message if you have a story to share I'd love to hear it. I'll be working on a new series soon and you could be a part of it. Sending good your way. Until next time, take good care.